We are now coming to the fourth reflection, which has two parts. And we are laughing because it has been an ordeal. This is the second time we recorded because in the first one there was no sound for some strange reason. But we are full of joy because we know that the Lord has great desire to communicate this to all of us. And we're the first ones that are growing and learning from all this. This has truly been a long labor <laughs> and painful retreat to give. So God must have a, a great plan for this. So with joy, we're, we're here with you, and we hope that this one records well. So here in um, the fourth reflection, we are going to be going into the work of John Paul II, his apostolic letter on the dignity and vocation of women, which is, you will see it, the focus is not just women, it's women and men. And why are we going here at this part of the retreat? Because like we have said many times, we have to be steadfast, anchored, knowing who we are, our mission and where we are going. And it is very important that we go to the beginning, to Genesis, to understand who we are in the image and likeness of God, of how he created us and what his, his will for us from the beginning. So let us begin with prayer. Lord, we turn to you. Truly, we cannot live this without your grace. So we turn to you and we beg you that you give us the grace to be able to to live it, to understand it, to communicate it, to make it our life. And we pray with Mother Mary, who is our model and our example. Amen. Amen. So this is a beautiful apostolic exhortation of John Paul II on the dignity and vocation of women, but it also applies very much to men because he speaks about the relationship. So he cites uh, the Second Vatican Council saying, in his goodness and wisdom, God chose to reveal himself and to make known to us the hidden purpose of his will. And he does this through Christ, the word made flesh, and through Christ, man has access to the Father in the Holy Spirit and comes to share in divine life. So notice that it's not just cleansing a sin, not just forgiveness, but it's bringing us to divine life, a participation of a life that is God, God's life. Mm -hmm. And so it goes on, the dignity of every being and the vocation corresponding to that dignity finds their definitive measure in union with God. Mary, the woman of the Bible, is the most complete expression of this dignity and vocation. And it is interesting that the name the Lord gave us for the path is the simple path to what? To union with God. 
And John Paul II is telling us that we can't find and become and live our truest dignity as men and women without entering more and more a profound union with God. He goes on, We read that man cannot exist alone, Genesis 2.18. He can exist only as a unity of two, and therefore in relation to another human person. It is a question here of a mutual relationship, man to woman and woman to man. Being a person in the image and likeness of God thus also involves existing in a relationship, in relationship to the other I. This is a prelude to the definitive self-revelation of the triune God, a living unity in the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Very powerful. So we cannot be transformed individually into the image and likeness of God outside of a relationship. And therefore, I understand why in the simple path to union with God, our Lord has stressed and has taught us so much through relationships. He has taught us not, it's not a spirituality that is up in the clouds or that's a bunch of concepts. The Lord always brings us into our relationships and it is because of this. So it's beautiful to understand the reason why the Lord calls us to relationships. Let's see what the Lord has taught us. On page 294 of The Simple Path, he said this to us. The love of God will stretch your love beyond your physical capacities. The expansion of the tent of your hearts is a most painful process. You have to choose to love those most difficult to love. You must always Choose love, patience, and tenderness, and never give in to anger and resentment. So the Lord already is focusing us, and he's telling us to exercise our will, to choose to love. And, he, and he's very specific, because he doesn't just say, you know, you have to choose to love everybody. The Lord uses the word difficult with us quite a few times. He says, you must choose to love those most difficult to love. And that's very significant of how the Lord has formed us as his victims of love. On page 341 of the simple path to union with God, this is what the Lord says to us. I came into the world to suffer and to die. I came into the world for the cross. See the oppression and darkness in your family as the same darkness in the world and in my church. This darkness also oppresses my heart, and I continue to suffer. My daughter, God the Father intended from the beginning of time for my body, the church, to be united to its head 
to pierce this darkness. It will be my holy remnant in my church that united in my cross will pierce the darkness. My daughter, you must choose to love always in your family, love through your silence. And he goes on. And here again we see how the Lord unites, he makes real the darkness in the world with the darkness in the reality of our each of our lives. So we might have many members of our family, friends, co-workers that we see are oppressed. Many of us deal in our circle of, of souls with the darkness of pornography, the darkness of alcoholism, addiction to drugs. We deal with our, our own circle of families, how many have lost their faith, left the Catholic Church, have no real desire, especially during these times where the Eucharist and Holy Mass is no longer available to us. We see a certain, and many times in members of our own family, of an indifference. And how many of us have not been confronted with the darkness in our priesthood, within the priests that we know? How many of us have not been confronted with priests that, like Ezekiel says, are dead bones? So the Lord is saying, the darkness out there is in your lives. And he's saying, go there in your own families and receive that oppression with me as a way to love for love to pierce that darkness. And he again is showing us how to live those difficult relationships. Those, those men and women in our lives that are oppressed. The Lord is asking us to love them and to help them. And it is by receiving, which we have learned in this path, their own oppression, allowing it to pierce our hearts, working through that resentment in those relationships, working through that anger, to suffer the pure pain with Christ. And finally, on page 171 of The Simple Path, our Lord says this, Ponder every relationship and situation in your lives where you are not loving with me, through me, and in me. Ask yourselves. I think this message from the Lord, most of us, I hope we have it memorized and it's become part of our lives. Ask ourselves, why is it so difficult to love this person or to love in these situations? It is precisely in those situations, says the Lord, and with those persons where you need to be purified. It is only in this way that you can become one with my Eucharistic life and be transformed into love. My pure victims of love are God's warriors. 
for these decisive times. The Lord says it is only in this way, in relationships that are difficult, that we can again become the men and women in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, all difficult people in our lives is God's gift to us, his opportunity to expand our hearts and to help us be purified. So we need to thank God as we think of the difficult relationships and people in our lives and thank him because it is only through those that our hearts can be expanded. And John Paul II continues, the New Testament will reveal the inscrutable mystery of God's inner life. God, who allows himself to be known by human beings through Christ, is the unity of the Trinity, unity in communion. In this way, new light is also thrown on man's image and likeness to God, spoken of in the book of Genesis. The fact that man created as man and woman is the image of God means that not only each of them individually is like God as a rational and free being, it also means that man and woman created as a unity of the two in their common humanity are called to live in a communion of love. And in this way, they're called to mirror in the world the communion of love that is in God, through which the three persons love each other in their intimate mystery of the one divine life the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, through the unity of the divinity, exist as persons through the inscrutable divine relationship. Only in this way can we understand the truth that God in himself is love. So the very central truth that God is love can only be understood as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intimately united in love. And we are called to be likeness of God, not as separated individuals, but also in the fact that we are called to relationship and we give ourselves to one another. And and John Paul II says, and in this way, the community of persons, a communion of persons, in this unity of the two, can mirror to the world the communion of the love of God. So how important is this to bring us to understand? It's not just about the Lord bringing us to relationships for us personally to grow in love. But it is really the only way to evangelize and witness to the world who God is, which is love. So it's growing in communion as families, 
but also as community. And God created and began in his divine will, our own community, Love Crucified, is a communion of men and women. The Lord didn't just raise up the mothers of the cross or the missionaries of the cross. He brought us up together. And therefore, as a community, we have to strive for unity in God, through Christ, with the Holy Spirit, that there truly be in the men and women in our community a relationship, a communion, a unity of love. And only in that way can our mission as community witness to the world the love of God. And therefore, a true community is not just a center to acquire knowledge and information. It is a communion of persons that are giving themselves to each other, loving each other, practicing this life, this way of, of living, to the point that we all are in each other's heart, growing and enriching each other. And just like in a family, mm-hmm. it's not easy because in, co- in mm-hmm. community also, there are difficult relationships. There are people that are difficult for us to love and situations that take place that are difficult to love. Mm-hmm. And it is only as each of us called to be transformed in God are willing to work through these relationships also in community, that the community and the mission of God can grow according to his will, which is the communion of love of the Trinity. So we move on with some powerful words that continue in the importance of communion. Jumpal writes, In the unity of the two, man and woman, are called from the beginning not only to exist side by side or together, but they're also called to exist mutually one for the other. This also explains the meaning of the help spoken in Genesis 2.18 to 25. I will make him a helper fit for him. So that is how Jesus reveals to us how to live. Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And he shows us, he came upon the earth and he did not just live side by side. He just did not live amongst the people. Jesus poured himself out. He becomes a gift of self for each of us. And he receives the pain of all of us as well. Exactly. And the love that we want to give him. And that is how we are called to live. So living the simple path moves us from living in a self-centeredness to living in and for God. The more we live in God and enter a deeper union with God is the more we are able to live for others. And this is why John 17 is so important. And for me personally, it's some of the scriptures that is, that I love the most. 
And in John 17, it's like the deepest desire of the heart of Jesus for his apostles and for each of us right before he begins his passion. And what does he pray for? It's his prayer for us. He prays for unity. He prays for oneness. He says, I live in the Father, and the Father lives in me. We are one. And that is what he wants for each of us. He wants him to live in me, and I in him, and through him I receive the Father. So the prayer of the Lord before he leaves this earth goes back to Genesis, to the beginning, reminding us of the Father's will from the beginning of time that be be one with the Most Holy Trinity. John Paul II continues, to be human means to be called to interpersonal communion. The text of Genesis 2.18-25 shows that marriage is the first and in a sense the fundamental dimension of this call. But it is not only, it's not the only one. The whole of human history unfolds within the context of this call. In this history, on the basis of the principle of mutuality, being for the other, in interpersonal communion, there develops in humanity itself, in accordance with God's will, the integration of what is masculine and what is feminine. This means that a man cannot be fully masculine or a woman feminine without relationships with others. But relationships many times are not relationships of communion, as we know. We live many dysfunctional, stressed relationships. And it is only as we strive for communion in relationships is our masculinity and femininity restored. That is why our Lord teaches love crucified to ponder all our relationships in which we are not loving through him, with him, and in him. It is in those relationships that lack communion and therefore reveal to us what is wounded and distorted in our womanhood and manhood. John Paul continues in his letter, Man, whether a man or a woman, is the only being among the creatures of the visible world that God the Creator has willed for its own sake. Has willed for its own sake. In other words, for their own good. All the other creatures in the planet were created for the use of man. But God is to be son, to be daughter, for his own sake. That creature is thus a person. Being a person means striving towards self-realization. You see, that's why animals are not persons. 
They don't strive to self-realization. The council speaks of self-discovery, which can only be achieved through a sincere gift of self. So we can only discover ourselves for who we are as we give ourselves. The model for this interpretation of the person is God himself as Trinity, as communion of persons. To say that a man is created in the image and likeness of God means that man is called to exist for others, to become a gift. These are powerful words that confirm our work in the path. What did God do and what did he teach us from the beginning of the path in chapter 2? Self-knowledge. He began to teach us how it is and how to open ourselves up at the foot of the cross to receive from the Holy Spirit the gift of self-knowledge, to bring us into self-realization, self-discovery. The simple path to union with God brings us into this self-discovery as we learned about so much within us that we had no idea. Our wounds, the obstacles in our wounds to union with God, how our wounds were infected, how many disordered tendencies we have that we weren't even aware of, Mm -hmm. deep-rooted anger and resentment that was locked up, an inability to suffer with because we had weren't even aware of the pain from from wounds from way back that were um, locked up inside our hearts. All of this is this self-realization, self-discovery. Giving up, distancing ourselves. Yeah. So there is a book called Lift Up Your Heart, written by Bishop Fulton Sheen. And he has some powerful words concerning this self-discovery that John Paul II teaches us about. Listen carefully to what Bishop Fulton Sheen says. He says, This capacity for self-reflection, which animals do not have, makes men superior to the animals, but also makes him subject to mental disorders when the soul does not fulfill the high destiny to which it is called. When it refuses to use the human faculty of unprejudiced examination of the self and its acts. Wow. Which means every person that doesn't use this capacity of self-discovery enters Great mental disorders. Now, we're not talking about disorders like schizophrenia and things like that that can, you know, be generational Mm. or hereditary or things like that. He's talking about a reality that is practically universal. Uh, We're all functioning, you know, with 
seem to be normal. We work, we produce things, uh, we're nice people, but we are really wounded and therefore we have this mental, mental disorders. disorders. And it's a mental, what is a, the mental disorder is that we're not saints. So only saints are fully sane and mentally healthy. So yeah. a lot of mental disorders we can see in ourselves is this aggression, anger, depression, um, bad attitudes. We don't even know where they come from. All of this is a type of mental disorder that comes from when souls do not um, apply and, and live this way that God created us to be. F Bishop Fulton Sheen goes on to say, we are all conscious beings, but very few of us are really self-conscious. We are aware of the existence of the objects around us, but are not fully aware of ourselves. How true is that? Few, he says, are really self-conscious. And in the whole path, we were always, always saying, even now with our desires, so many of our desires that are rooted in our ego are on a subconscious level. Most people live in that level and have not brought that that is in the subconscious into consciousness for self. And that is what we call bringing us into the light, which is the light of God. And finally, he says this, everyone else knows our faults and failings, but we can close our eyes to them. We are indignant when we hear ourselves accused, even though we have a sneaking suspicion that what we are told may be true. Our neighbor's defects of character we can carry we carry before our eyes, but our own are carried out of sight in a sack on our backs. Every person can know himself, but often he knows everything except himself. And therefore, he knows nothing. So with this, we end the first part of this fourth reflection. And these are some of the questions for you to work this week in this section. And they are, first, what relationships in my life lack communion? What do these difficult relationships reveal to me about my disordered tendencies and desires? How can I foster communion in these difficult relationships? What needs to be purified and healed in me, not the other person? Am I growing in communion with Christ and through him with Abba? How is this communion with God helping and guiding me in all my relationships? You can find all this in the text right on our website so that you can continue to ponder it. What difficult person for me to love is God asking me to focus this work with.
That's important because sometimes there's a lot of people that we might struggle with in relationships. And sometimes we need to focus on one and really, you know, go deep into that one relationship to grow and then move on to another relationship. So now we end this first part of reflection for with a song by our beloved Maria called Perdón Padre Bueno. In English, it means forgive me, good father. God bless you and we'll see you soon for part two. te conocemos pero te tememos vamos huyendo de ti oh padre generoso y bueno cuánto te hacemos sufrir ya es hora de que cambiemos nuestra forma de Solo te pedimos, incluso exigimos que aceptes nuestra voluntad. Hijos tercos y obstinados que no se dejan guiar. Y en tus amorosas manos queremos descansar no reconocemos que eres padre tierno que toda tu esencia es amor y a ti te culpamos cuando fracasamos y no te pedimos perdón perdón Padre bueno, perdón, apelo a tu compasión, apelo a tu misericordia, mi confianza está en tu amor, no hay nada que me separe de recibir tu perdón. Padre bueno, perdón, apelo a tu compasión, apelo a tu misericordia, mi confianza está en tu amor, no hay nada que me separe de recibir. 